0: Welcome to the OK Guard Show. I'm Leanna Maschino, and my co-host, Staff Sergeant Brian Schroeder, is currently at annual training. So you just get me this time. In this episode, we talk effective leadership, both how to effectively be led and how to effectively lead. The interview was with Brigadier General Lewis Willem. He's the Assistant Adjutant General for the Oklahoma National Guard on the Army side. And he has a wealth of experience and knowledge in leadership since he has climbed through the ranks uh, during his more than 30 years of service. So excellent episode. We hope you enjoy. So let's get to it. Sir, just kind of introduce yourself. Uh, we've already established your rank and name and things like that, but talk about your title and what it is that you do for the guard.
1: Okay. So actually just right now, I'm, I'm hitting my three-year anniversary back as a, a traditional guardsman. So when I pinned on as a Brigadier General, I took on the role as the Assistant Adjutant General for the Oklahoma Army National Guard, and in that role I, I left the AGR program and went over to be a state employee now. So in my role as the Assistant TAG, basically I fill in when the Adjutant General needs me to do things for him, obviously, and on my full-time side for the state, I'm the uh, Executive Director of the Oklahoma Military Department, and that's the state side of, uh, of how we run things for the National Guard.
0: Perfect. So. Brian and I thought you were a perfect um, person for this interview. Uh, you've had a lot of experience and grown up in the guard. You've had family who's in the guard and you have a lot of leadership experience and that's why we wanted to have you come on the show. So,
2: Exactly, and today our topic, how to be an effective non-toxic leader, is something that is is very important for people to recognize, I feel like. Um, some people may be down a path that they realize that maybe their leadership style has gone for the worse or maybe somebody is being led by somebody that has these types of toxic leadership uh, traits so we want to kind of examine a little bit of those and figure out what we can do to maybe adjust course or start off on the right path for some of those uh, new people that may be second lieutenant pfc that are looking to join the ranks and and make it up through the ranks, much like you have. Okay. So, um, just a very basic question Why do you think we need leadership in the military and the civilian world? Well, it's kind
1: of a broad question, obviously, but leadership's important. Obviously, if we don't have any leadership, we're going to look at, an, at kind of anarchy, I guess, would be one way mm-hmm. to look at it. But uh, I think leadership provides. Um, it turns vision and ideas into action. So um, I think that's that's a key, especially on the military side.
0: How would you categorize types, both good and bad, leadership?
1: Yeah. So we've uh, you know we've gone we've gone through this. I did a, when when I was kind of preparing for this, I took a look and I just did a quick uh, search on Amazon for under leadership books. And I think you know there's sixty thousand different titles <laughs> for leadership. Wow. Yeah. And so. And then when you, you can look up toxic leadership, too, and there's a few hundred titles mm-hmm. on that. So this isn't anything new that we're trying to deal with mm-hmm. here. And obviously the Army, one of the things that we take away on the Army side is that leadership is one of the most important things that we, we have. And uh, we do a... We do a pretty good job of trying to define what that is and trying to teach young leaders at all levels, either NCOs or officers, how to come up and do that properly. Um, we've had issues in the past, I think, and we, and that's an ongoing um, problem, uh, not just in the Guard, but in the Army as a whole and really in society. So I think we're getting there. Um, things change over time, but I think basically those same, those same tenets hold true. And I think you're looking at character traits like... Um, uh, in my opinion, the things that you need to be a good leader—you know—you need to have. You need to have core values. You need to lead from those values. You need to uh, be a standard bearer. You need to be an empathic leader. You need to have empathy for both the people that you're leading and your customers, or the people that you're trying to uh, to do things for. Mm-hmm. And then, um, and, and empowerment. You know, we want to empower our uh, the people that we're leading to do their own thing. So,
2: how long have you? worn the uniform, sir.
1: How long have you served? So it'll be 32 years, uh, a little
2: bit later this year. Wow. It's a a long career spanning three decades, more than three decades. Yeah, thanks for that. Very (laughs) impressive. (laughs) It's very impressive. So you've encountered many different types of leaders, I'm sure, within within (laughs) your military career. Tell us a little bit about some of those types of leaders and specifics on what made them a good leader, what stood out to you, whether it be positive, negative, or just neutral.
1: Sure. Um, like I said, I'm I'm proud to be flipping back over to a traditional guardsman now at the end of my career. So I did 10 years as a, a traditional guardsman on the front side as well. So uh, so start with uh, let me go back to a, a bad leadership example, and that, that bad leadership example is one that I had in my civilian career when I was uh, I worked at UPS actually, and. There was a supervisor that I had who, who literally took joy in saying no to everything you might ask. Um, hmm. Did not empower his employees, took credit for things that they did, and then shifted blame to them when things went wrong that were his fault. So that's that's kind of the thing I saw from the civilian standpoint. <clears throat> and I also had some great leaders at UPS as well. But that's that's the one example of the literally the worst leader that I had. Um, and then flipping to that, when I came over on, on the AGR side, on the on the military side of, for the Oakland Army National Guard, my um, first full-time supervisor was uh, Colonel Arnold Moncrief, and probably the best boss I've ever had and, and one of the, the best leaders I've ever had an opportunity to work with. Um, people did things for Colonel Moncrief because they didn't want to disappoint him. They didn't want to let him down. And I think I learned quite a bit from him on that. <laughs> he... He operated within our values and from that set of values. He let people know what he expected. He supported them. He empowered us to make decisions and work on our own. And then the biggest thing that I learned and I've tried to take with me I think is you can do all those things and you can still have a good time in the workplace as far as you know, you can have you can smile, you can you can joke around, you can be happy as long as you're getting the job done. So
0: do you think that from your UPS boss that you said it was the worst that you've had? And the best that you've had. Do you think you've learned an equal amount from both uh, on how you want to be as a leader?
1: Yeah, I think so. You know, from the from the bad example, it's pretty simple. When when you have when you're working with somebody like that specifically, and they're your supervisor, you can you can see things. And I mm-hmm. think you can go in two directions. You can either you can either look at that and go okay, if this is the way that things need to be done to be successful, that's what I'm gonna do, which I think is a really bad idea. Um, but I think we do see some of that. Um, throughout my career in, in the Oklahoma Guard, we've seen people who, I don't wanna necessarily say they're toxic, but maybe their leadership style was such that um, people looked at at working for them as a badge of honor. Well, I was able to work for so-and-so and I didn't get fired and I survived and I moved <laughs> Right. <up. laughs> <clears throat> that's really not what I wanted to do. And so I think that's kind of what I saw from, yeah. that, from that early experience. And so you learn quite a bit from that. On the positive side, again, it's you, you emulate those things that you, you perceive as successful. Mm-hmm. At the time, Colonel Moncrief was extremely successful. There weren't but I think one or two sixes in the whole state, and he, oh, wow. and he achieved that level. So obviously it was somebody I aspired to be like, not because of the rank that he achieved, but because of the way he treated people. Okay.
2: So, do you think that it's genetic to be a good leader? Is that something that you're born with? Is it something that you can learn? Is it maybe a little bit of both?
1: I think that's a you know that's always that question: are leaders born or made? And I think um, I think you can go to any grade school or junior high or high school and see somebody, a child even, who just other people just cling to and watch mm-hmm. and. So obviously I think at that level those people tend to be extroverts and children are kind of somewhat, they're just kind of waiting to see somebody jump out and take the lead. Mm-hmm. Whether or not they turn into good leaders in the future, I don't know. So, But I do think that there are certain traits that people are just born with and that, that are—and they're going to have an advantage. But I also think that uh, leadership can be taught and we try to do that in the military, in all branches of the military. And really you see that in uh, industry as well, in private industry. They'll they'll have mentorship programs and programs where they try to bring people in to lead. So, mm-hmm. I think it goes both ways, but it sure it surely can be taught. Okay.
0: okay. You you talked about um, what a an effective leader needs. So if you if you were to build your perfect effective leader, that's both a good leader and and respected overall. How what what traits would you give that person?
1: Yeah, and I so <clears throat> the biggest thing for me and it goes back to those those core values that we have in us an organization. So on the army side it's you know we have the acronym leadership, loyalty, duty, respect, selfless service, honor, integrity and personal courage. Those things are extremely important for me and I think for all of us. On the air force side it's, it's a little simpler there's only 3 for whatever reason, but it's integrity first, service before self and excellence in all we do. Okay. I think from if you start with that that, that's your key. You have to have those as a, as a good leader, regardless of if you're a squad leader, a team leader, or battalion or brigade commander. You've got to start with those values. And I think from that standpoint, then, it's can you communicate what your intent is? And so if you have those strong values and you can communicate what your intent is, and then, then you empower your folks to make those decisions at their level, and, and that's where you, th- those are the, those are the, the big Mm-hmm. three things i think you have to be values driven you have to be able to communicate your intent and then you have to empower your folks below you
0: i'm going to go off a l- script just a little bit you talk about empowerment how do you empower someone
1: yeah so um empowerment is extremely important and, I, and i'll tell you i'm gonna i'm gonna read a little bit from um i talked about how the, the army in general really tries to focus on leadership mm-hmm. and so um I think it's 2012 document, uh, the Army Doctrine Publication, ADP 6-0, and it's about mission command. And I'll just read it verbatim. Uh, mission command is the exercise of authority and direction by the commander using mission orders to enable disciplined initiative within the commander's intent to empower agile and adaptive leaders in the conduct of unified land operations. Now, So yeah. what the hell does that so mean? You now if you're right. talking to your grandma. <laughs> I mean, <talk> <laughs> yeah. So, so my, the point in reading that is, is the Army spends a lot of time in developing these methods, and a lot of times I laugh. You know, the Army's been around a long time. If you follow their, their guidelines, typically you're going to be okay, but that stuff's really hard to filter through. Mm-hmm. But it, what it really comes down to is General Dempsey was the driver behind this, and he had three— um, three basically principles and those were commander's intent mission type orders and decentralized execution so that's a little bit better so that what i talked about was commander's intent was that's you know being able to communicate what the what the mission is Uh, The mission type orders that's just fragos and and op orders etc the decentralized execution piece is where we get into the empowerment part Um, so it's real simple if i can tell you what my intent is and then let you at your level execute that intent, then then, then I've, I've empowered you to do your job. Now, the bad, deal, the bad part of that is if I'm the type of leader who's a micromanager, I'm going to tell you what my intent is, and then I'm going to follow you every step of the way, and when you start making decisions, I'm going to say, well, I don't want you to do it that mm-hmm. way. I want you to do it this way. Or if I'm a bully, and I tell you to execute my intent, and you go off and execute the intent, and it fails for whatever reason, and I just lambast you and and embarrass you in front of your peers then that that's not effective either Mm -hmm. and so there's a lot of things that come into that so the empowerment piece there's a lot of trust that has to be built I have to make sure that you know what my intent is Mm -hmm. and based on the level of leadership and organization we're at I give you left and right limits tell you what my intent is and then I expect you to execute that in accordance with whatever level you are at the in the organization takes a lot of trust yeah. um mm-hmm. and it's actually pretty hard to i mean it's mm-hmm. easy to micromanage it's hard to give people guidance and let them go
0: there there's this idea that trust can be done in two ways whether it's earned or you automatically give someone trust and then it's like giving them rope giving them slack what what is most effective because trusting immediately i feel like is a quicker more effective way but there's also more risk so, which side of the...
1: Well, so that's... So, one thing I love about the Army is that we have a hierarchy. So, when you start out in the Army, you don't start out as a PFC, working directly for a brigade commander, as one of his staff personnel. Mm-hmm. You're a part of a team. So, at that E-5 level, when when your team leader tells you to do something, his or her team members, those five people, should be able to do anything he tells them to do, or she tells them to do. And so... When I get somebody, if I get an E7 that comes and works for me and I'm a company commander, I should expect that that E7 has all the tools and all the skills and all the, all the requirements that he or she has to have to execute whatever I tell them to mm-hmm. do. Now, maybe there may be some idiosyncrasies about the unit that he or she is in, but basically an E7 should be able to do E7 work. And if, if, even if you're brand new to me, I should be able to tell you my intent and expect you to get it done. Mm-hmm. Um, And so that's the good thing about the military. Um, It's one of the things we talk about (coughs) on motivational leaders. I think there's a difference between a a leader and a speaker. Um, The Army has a really good way of um, making sure that your span of control is not too much. As a company commander, you're gonna have three or four platoons. Your focus should be on those platoon leaders. You need to lead those platoon leaders. Let them lead their platoons. Mm -hmm. Each platoon's gonna have four or five squads. Each squad leader's gonna have a couple of teams. Mm -hmm. We do that on purpose to make sure that that this gets driven down. The company commander doesn't have to literally lead every one of his 178 people or 200 people. I mean, effectively he does, he or she does, but he has folks to do that. And I apologize for saying he all the time. You know, that's just typically how we do things. Mm -hmm. Um, So as a brigade commander, I might have five battalions. I don't necessarily need to be able to stand up there and give a hoorah speech to the whole battalion and get them fired, or the whole brigade to get them fired up. The people that can do that, God bless them, because they're much better at that than I am. I'm better at being able to um, talk to my direct reports in, a, in kind of a smaller setting, tell my focus and what my intent is, and try to motivate them to then do that for their folks. The people who can stand up in front of those large groups, some of those people, People are both excellent leaders and great motivational speakers. Sometimes they're just great motivational speakers and they might be toxic or kind of a mess when they get down to the lower levels.
0: Right.
2: Perfect. So you've kind of described a few different types of leaders, uh, some positive and and negative. Um, So what. What does somebody do to find their leadership style? If you're a new E5 or even a E4, E3, wanting to get to that level or you're just recently commissioned and and you've got a bunch of people under you and you don't know what to do uh, other than reading a lot of self-help books. How do you recommend one going out and trying to find their leadership style? Yeah, you know, what be beware of the self help books. I mean, I you know I, <laughs> I was
1: laughing as I was uh, getting ready to come over. I, I glanced down. Mm-hmm. And there's a there's a leadership book holding up my my uh, screen on my computer. So I mean, it just kind of depends. Some of them some of them are useful and some of them are not. Like I said, there's sixty thousand titles <laughs> out there. Um, basically, it's it's pretty simple. It, it's trial and error. The Army or the Air Force or the Navy or the Marine Corps. We don't commission you or make you an NCO and immediately put you in charge of a large formation and give you a huge undertaking to go through. Sometimes in combat, you know, you see that happen in combat, but um, typically we kind of bring you along slowly into that process. So it's literally a, a, a trial and error. When you start out at, at a younger level in the, in the military, you'll try different things and some things will work and some things won't. Um, great example of that for me is, as I mentioned, I prefer smaller groups. So, when I became a battalion commander, I did try to do that hurrah, large formation type speech. it pretty much fell flat, so not my style and so I, I just I took that again, one of the things i talk about is self-awareness. You need to be a little bit aware of what your uh, capabilities are, what your strengths and weaknesses are. That was not a strength of mine. So I didn't do that again. Mm. And so it was actually at an AT period. So I throttled back, re- refocused my efforts on my staff and my company commanders, and things worked out much better.
0: How did how did you learn, like, okay, that, that fell flat? Was it your peers or your subordinates saying, hey, sir, or could you just tell like it's
1: literally self awareness of okay. looking out looking out at the uh, at the audience and and a look of bewilderment because <laughs> a lot of those folks knew me but mm. i had never tried that before right and so um, it was just a you know I think I've always, I think most people would love to be able to be that person that mm-hmm. stands up there and addresses that large crowd and gets people cheering. The just, Independence
0: Day speech, absolutely. right? absolutely, yeah. okay. <laughs> just not me. I'm a
1: better writer than a speaker, so I, I, you know, I always typically have notes or crib sheets, something like that. And so that's that self awareness piece. You just got to mm-hmm. figure that out. And um, you know, I've got a list of some tips, and that's one of those tips. You got to know your strengths and weaknesses, mm-hmm. and sometimes it takes a while to figure that out. And one of the hardest things I have um, for people to understand is that we're all on a bell curve. So General Thompson's got six general officers. You know, you put us on a bell curve, there's there's two at the top, two at the bottom, and two in the middle. Now, the two at the bottom, they still might be better than any of Arkansas's generals or, or California's generals, but for his group, they're still at the bottom. And so you got to be aware of kind of where you are on that hierarchy, at least have an idea. Um we talk about OERs and NCOERs, how they're all overinflated. If everybody thinks they're in the top ten percent, then then there's probably a problem. So it's really difficult sometimes to look inside and see where you really are on mm-hmm. that on that bell curve.
2: So using that same analogy, if if you are at the bottom of the bell curve, you're you're new in, and I'm not just talking general level, sure. but just everybody. Um, how do you how do you get that experience to get to that mid part of the bell or the top of the, the bell curve? Do you force yourself out there, you, you demand people listen to you, do you bully your way in like you were saying, do you lead from the back, do you lead from the front? How, how does one get experience as a leader to figure out how to, how to shape their leadership style? Yeah, you know it's actually easier at the at the lower level. So when you're a, when you're a company commander,
1: if if you get an an OER that says, you know, you're not a great company commander. I mean, cuz it's simple. If the if your brigade commander's got 15 companies, somebody's going to be in the bottom 2 mm-hmm. or 3. And I think at that point you have some decisions to make. You're either going to you're either going to continue on and do this or you're going to just call it in. And so like I said, you can teach this stuff. And so the problem is Sometimes folks are a little bit hesitant to reach out to their um, immediate superiors and ask for some mentorship. And so Mm -hmm. we've typically done a bad job of maybe masking some of that poor performance by saying, you know. OERs will come out and say you're fine, but in reality, behind closed doors, people will say that officer isn't really that great. Right. So that you have to be able to reach out and ask for mentorship. Uh, We have the 360 peer evaluations. You know, Mm -hmm. we're supposed to do those anyway. So you can you can reach out. You can list all your fellow company commanders and have them do those uh, peer evaluations and kind of you can see where you stand among their level. But it's really then a matter of uh, self improvement. You know, we offer schools. Uh, we offer the you know you can find the mentorship piece but um it it really then it is incumbent upon them if you have a good mentor um oftentimes i've been able to mentor folks and i've been able to give them some guidance these are some schools you need to have you need to step back out of command and and take a staff position and, and do some things like that i will tell you that the key on on the that leadership piece at the younger level is regardless of what position you're in, is to work your tail off in that job. Because all, you all have seen this, how do we reward hard work with more work? Mm-hmm. And so if you're doing a good job in the job that you're doing, we're gonna, we're gonna then give you more responsibility and then more projects to work on. And eventually, those projects are gonna be, you're gonna be leading more people when those, when those projects. And so if you do a good job, you're gonna get more work and then mm-hmm. you're gonna get more responsibility. So, huh.
0: okay. Fun. That's yeah. always the best part. <laughs> <laughs> working for more work. But no. <laughs> well, yeah. But it's a compliment, right? Even if you know.
1: It is, and I'll, I'll give you. I'll give you a great example, and I'll, I'll throw his name out there. This Friday, we're going to uh, promote Lars Osterbold to uh, full bird colonel up in uh, Broken Arrow. Um, Lars is one of our few traditional officers who has a normal job working for a company um that's not government related i mean technically his company is government related but it, it, it's a private company that he works for um he was a battalion commander for i think five plus years while he was a battalion commander we sent him to the uh, the war college in dis- distance learning mode which is much harder than the mode i got to go to and then so he's a battalion commander we're making him do the war college i <laughs> know oh, by the way he's got a full-time civilian job that's he's where he's responsible for a lot of stuff you know, yeah. that's, So that's a perfect example. Hey, you're doing a great job as a battalion commander. Yeah, we think you have a great future. Oh, by the way, here, take on this two-year project of doing the War College while you're doing that. And so it's a good example. He's a mm-hmm. great leader. He's a great officer. He's got great potential. But we rewarded him by forcing him to stay in battalion command and doing the War College.
0: So. So on the mentality side of that, I assume someone would need to see that as rather than more work is being piled on me, it's more of a... As a good leader they see trust in me mm-hmm. they want me to help build this particular thing or these many things because they have trust in me is and is that the right mental state to go go with on that
1: yeah I think so but you also and again I, I think he would have had the trust and, you know, they don't know necessarily but you also can sometimes say this might be too much and mm-hmm. And that's where our fear is, I think, going forward in the Guard. We've talked about an operational reserve versus a strategic reserve, mm-hmm. and we are asking an awful lot of our traditional uh, men and women uh, to, to do what we ask them to do. It's, it's becoming it's becoming really tough. And so you take somebody that has that uh, mentality of no fail, and it's really difficult for them to step up and say, hey, sir or ma'am, you know, I'd prefer to delay this until I come out of command, or I, I, I really can't do this my home life my work and everything at once mm-hmm. so again that comes back to that uh, self-awareness if he or she thinks they can do it it may be some short-term pain but there's going to be some long-term gain so it's, okay. it's just individual
0: did you hear about the twenty thousand reenlistment bonus check your eligibility by contacting the oklahoma national guard education and incentives office contact information is in the show notes now back to the show
2: when you first commissioned, I won't say how long ago, we've already discussed this. <laughs> um, but when you first started out, the Army, the military as a whole was completely different. Leadership styles, they're, they're kind of generic styles that, that will carry out throughout time. However, the main style may be different than how it is today, you being at, at the, the top levels of leadership here in the Oklahoma National Guard. Um, how do you see that... Progressing for future generations, for someone that's a second lieutenant, when they get to your level, maybe get your crystal ball and see <laughs> where you predict leadership styles changing or, or drifting towards. Or does it stay the same?
1: Yeah, I think, you know, style probably stays the same. I mean, you're going to, you're going to, things are going to morph a little bit. But um, when you look back throughout history, the, the successful military leaders are probably all very similar. Um, we talked about how some can be somewhat toxic. I think toxic leaders can get stuff done over the short period of time. It's just that they, they, they cause a lot of damage in getting that done, mm-hmm. and, and they're, they're typically not gonna be successful for mm-hmm. a long period of time. So if I, if I need to do something today, right now, I can, I can force you guys to do whatever I want because of my rank, but that's not gonna last. I can't, and I wouldn't do that, but mm-hmm. I, it's just not something that's gonna last on the generational thing um, yeah when i got in it was it was a lot different there were, there were no emails um, we literally everything was communicated by memorandum or or face to face conversation so things were a lot different and so when i see the current and first off i would say don't the, the gets people in trouble by stereotyping a generation I'm technically a Gen X person, but I'm at the very early end of the Gen X, and I have a lot more in common with uh, the younger part of the baby boomer generation. The millennial generation today that gets a lot of bad publicity for whatever reason, they span from 22 to 37 there's a huge mm-hmm. difference between a twenty two year old recent college graduate and a thirty-seven year old single mother of two kids. Mm-hmm. I mean that's so to, to put paint them all with the same brush is a little bit ridiculous. Sure. But I will tell you, um, maybe not just millennials, but just people today in general, their communication style is completely different. We shifted from a from a face to face or memo driven way to do business, then we went to emails, everything was done by emails. Today nobody even wants to read an email it's Mm -hmm. text message and uh, a lot of folks don't like to communicate verbally either on the phone or in person they would love to just be able to do everything by text that's very efficient for some things like when you're doing a convoy Mm -hmm. if you hit an RP or an SP you can hit send a text message you know date and location or time Mm -hmm. and location but for communicating orders or some things like that sometimes that's a little difficult so for the younger generation that they're gonna to have to be willing to kind of meet in the middle I think they need they, they need to be able to communicate a little bit more face-to-face or on the phone verbally and then for the older generation they need to understand that these folks don't like doing that so when we can have new technologies or new things that allow them to to just send information they can do that without having to speak face-to-face
0: so so it's a meet in the middle for both both have to sacrifice what they prefer in order to be most effective
1: yeah I think so and, and Part of that is a lot of things go like that. Um, when you're in certain roles, you can you can do certain things. When you're a staff officer, maybe you can you can rely more on text messaging or emails or, or traffic that's not as important. When you're a commander, I think there's there's a requirement to do some of that face to face. When you're a first sergeant, obviously you have to do some face to face stuff. You know, and so it kind of depends on your role.
0: What do you think the military is doing to adapt to the generation, the technology, and all that stuff? And what do you also think they should do to adapt and be most effective?
1: Yeah, I think obviously I, I think some of the concerns are is that we uh, recruiting is, mm-hmm. is a big key. How how do, we, how do we get in front of people to get our message out there, especially in the National Guard? I mean, I'm, a, I'm an early riser, so I'm typically up before at five or before, and I listen to sports radio a lot, and so I hear public service announcements about the National Guard mm-hmm. at you know, five oh four in the morning I'm not sure that that's reaching our target audience um, you know there's just been a recent change there there's talk they're kind of changing up our um, branding for the recruiters mm-hmm. it, it looks more like the Army's branding um, they're trying to figure out ways to, to get in there to speak to that younger generation from a leadership standpoint I, again I think it goes back to human nature um, you see a lot of businesses that can that can get young people to respond and perform very well in a customer service fo- focused uh, orientation. Chick-fil-A mm-hmm. is a great example. Everybody loves to go to Chick-fil-A, is because those young people that work there, they're very friendly, mm-hmm. they're very customer focused, and they're and they're able to. Uh, push the that company's yeah. values for the people that come in there and eat it's a pleasure mm-hmm. to serve you yeah yeah, All the time. <laughs> yeah. and so and your chicken's great <laughs> if, if they're able to do that with with high school and young college yeah. kids then why wouldn't why shouldn't we be able to do that as well right. and so i think the army the army has done a good job of looking at things like that from the civilian world and 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 how they're doing those things okay
0: perfect that was awesome answer because that's yeah. something that is just there's a i wouldn't even know where to start to to bring that but you, you bridge that very nicely on yeah, and
1: anybody that works for me is gonna they'll, they'll know that they've got the customer service speech yeah. and, and customer service is, is huge because mm-hmm. especially on the full-time side of what we do um, we all have customers whether that's the customers at the higher level um, one of my customers is the tag uh, the other my other customers in my job are legislators citizens of the state of Oklahoma the governor etc So I've got to keep them happy, Mm -hmm. but I've also got customers from the bottom side. My state employees that come up, the soldiers that I deal with, the airmen that I deal with, they're also customers. And so the customer service piece of what we do is huge and um, i did much of my career has been in the hr field and obviously we have customers there and uh, but you can figure out regardless of what you're even an infantry company commander has customers that's going to be his battalion commander and the people that he is um, working with and so you just got to figure out what that customer base is and you've got to make sure that they're being taken
2: care of yeah Yeah. Yeah, that's it's a really good analogy a lot of people don't think of customers in the military Mm -hmm. sure but everywhere you go you're essentially selling something selling yourself, selling an idea that you may have that you want to bring to your squad leader, company commander, whatever it may be on changing things, so knowing how to approach that situation is ideally customer service yeah and so if you asked, I think right now, obviously I think
1: the number one priority we have is is strength, and so retention and recruiting are huge right now. Well, it's a lot easier to retain a soldier than it is to recruit one and train them up Mm -hmm. and get them in the the formation. So on the retention side of the house, customer service is huge. And so if we we have a Muta 8, but that Thursday-Friday piece is during finals week, yeah. If our customers are our soldiers and they and they can't miss those classes, then we have to use some yeah. common sense and step in and say, okay, we have to have a little more leeway for our college students or for those people who are going through some things at work. Maybe they can't come on Thursday and Friday mm-hmm. because they just got promoted into a new job. Mm-hmm. So that's, a, that's just a really simple way of, of figuring out who your customers are.
0: Mm-hmm. So. so that bridges us, I think, really nicely into understanding your employees or your customers' personality. Yeah. Um, and how to work to work directly with them so that you can come up with something that's the most effective possible, whether it's a project or whatever. So how important is it for leaders to understand how their employees perceive information um, to get them to execute the way you want? Because some are extrovert, some are introvert. I gave the example of, um, Maybe a boss's delivery method would really motivate and pump someone up. Mm -hmm. And then the other person would be like, just completely shut down by it. So how important is it to know the difference?
1: Well, it's critical. And again, that's where don't overthink this because... Again, if you look at it from a direct report standpoint, mm-hmm. yes, a company commander's got 170 to 200 people. Mm-hmm. He doesn't need to communicate with each of those people individually. Mm-hmm. He can he can address the company and say say things in front of the whole company, but that's not what's going to drive the train on getting whatever mm-hmm. it is you said done. What's going to get that done is the, are the squad leaders, and so those squad leaders need to know who those folks are. Um, apologize about no I okay. forgot to turn that off. Um, so those squad leaders are the ones who are going to need to communicate those things down at that lowest level. And so I take my, in my job now, I have six direct reports. Every one of those people is different. They have different things that drive them. There's, there are different reasons they work for me, and there are different reasons that they come to work. I know what motivates each of those people, mm-hmm. and I treat them each differently when I have to give them taskers and do those things. A first sergeant's gonna be the same way. Mm-hmm. His platoon sergeants, he's gonna know each of those folks individually. He's gonna know what uh, motivates them, him or her to, to do certain things. So it's critical, you've, you've gotta be able to do that.
0: Does that take quite a bit of time to learn?
1: from a traditional soldier or officer standpoint probably uh it probably seems like it takes a ton of time Mm -hmm. and that's why you need to do things like um you need to meet you know before or after drill and and just have some discussions about just what's going on um our director of the joint staff general harrison has recently implemented a um basically it's like a, a weekly half hour time to sit down with his direct reports and he just visits with them obviously a lot of that's about work but Mm -hmm. a lot of that is also about hey what's going on tell me tell me what's going on Um, John has way more direct reports than I do and that that fills up his calendar Mm -hmm. but for for the for our normal span of control between five
2: and eight people I think that's pretty easily done yeah that brings (coughs) us to toxic leadership Um, we've talked a little bit about just touched on examples of toxic leadership you mentioned the bully there's a dictator, micromanager, autocrat, uh, stressed, some people may find their leadership to be incompetent just based on perception. Um, So how and why do these types of leadership negatively affect the workplace? I mean, it may be kind of a very general obvious question. Yeah, I mean, it it seems obvious, but
1: um, and uh, General Milley, I hope it wasn't in a non-attributional format but <laughs> um, he said the reason we still have toxic leaders around is cuz sometimes toxic leaders get the job done. And so I think that's what we have to really watch out for. It's like I said earlier um, a toxic leader can work in the short term. I can we can we can force people to do things in a, in a in a very short amount of time. Sometimes when you see things, and um, in, in because of the nature of our business, sometimes those are the things that get highlighted in a person's career. When we were deployed, we did this. When we were at an AT period, he or she did this, and they, they got results. Well, yeah, that might have been great for that operation on that day, and, and that might have worked. But for the long-term ability to get things done, that's mm-hmm. probably not going to happen. So the toxic leadership piece is um, is tough. And so when we people say things like, toxic leaders get the job done, that, that's not necessarily true. They might get a task done, but they don't necessarily get the job done. So that's what we have to look out for. Um, I think the key is that our senior leaders make need to make sure that they're not rewarding toxic leadership. We, we've seen it. And so it's not funny. I mean, I've seen people berate people in public and then other people kind of laugh it off. That, that needs to be addressed because that's mm-hmm. not something that that is in line with our army values and it, I mean we teach that you should praise in public and punish in private. Mm-hmm. and so we, we need to we need to make sure that when we see that we need to call out our peers uh, for allowing that to happen. and then if you're a subordinate and you see a superior do that, you need to get behind closed doors and 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 call that out and, and make sure that that gets addressed.
0: If you're the actual, so we go into the, if you're a soldier, airman, or an employee in the civilian workforce and you are in an environment where it's toxic, you have a leader, leader that is just a nightmare to work for, at what point should they say something and how should they communicate? Is it through their chain of command, HR, or is it um, directly with the leader? How would you?
1: Yeah, of course, that kind of depends on, on, on what, in my opinion, it depends on what it is. So if it's something that's discriminatory or a harassment-type issue like sexual harassment or harassment that falls into any, any of those categories that we talk about, the, the the first thing you need to do is tell the person that says something to you that I don't appreciate you speaking to me that way, that you know, that you shouldn't talk to me that way. Now, if it's a military instance where it's not based on her, a harassment-type issue like gender, sexual or you orientation, know, things like mm-hmm. that, then it then it becomes a chain of command issue. Mm-hmm. If you're in, if you're a specialist and a, some company commander is just ripping you in front of a bunch of people, it becomes really difficult for you to say, "Sir, I don't appreciate you talking to me like that." But then they do have the chain of command, so then you would go to your platoon sergeant and you would go to your first sergeant. And if you don't get relief from that, or if or maybe they can explain to you why this person did that, and then you can you can accept that explanation. Mm-hmm. But if that's not um, Valid for you, then we have we have other chains. You can talk to the chaplain or you can talk to the IG Or even even talk to a JAG if it it raises to that level and I will tell you that Since I've been in a quote senior leadership role from the 05 level and above we take those things very seriously And we look into them so and Obviously the person that's involved might be concerned about retribution, but we we keep a close eye on that as well
2: So yeah, because if you're in a toxic environment and you're being led by a bully you don't want to stand up and, and say, excuse me, I don't think this is the right way.
1: Right. Because that's going
2: to come back on you, sure. you know, yeah. ultimately. So knowing the right channels and the right paths to, to go <clears throat> is very important because you can't fight fire with fire in this instance.
1: No, because the ranks rank still has its privileges. Exactly. And so, But that's, that's where it comes into that deal of hopefully if you're a leader and that happens to you, when I say leader, I'm talking about NCOs or above, then you have those other mentors you can go to and say, hey, so-and-so said this to me, how do you take this? Mm-hmm. And then you can kind of bounce that off, bounce those ideas off some other folks as well.
0: How can you give someone comfort in knowing they have that chain of command? There's not gonna be any um, negative consequences to you coming forward about something. We know sexual assault and harassment and things like that. We absolutely, that that is something that people should know. Hey go to your chain of command, don't be afraid to do it, and there will not be negative consequences. But what if it's just the way that leader is treating these people? Maybe it's not in a harassment realm, but does that make sense, Mike?
1: Sure, I, and I think that's where, like I said, your peers, um, we do command climate surveys. Um, you can, based on the level of the organization that that's happening at, that that's kind of where you need to go. Mm-hmm. Um, the IG is always a, uh, a good route if you've tried the chain of command. Obviously, the, typically the IG is going to tell you, have you talked to your first sergeant about this? And what you don't want or what you hope, from, from our level, what we hope doesn't happen is that you hope that you don't have a commander and a senior NCO that have that same mindset because that's when sometimes things can get stopped. Um, mm-hmm. And if that's the case... As hard as it is, they need to go outside their immediate chain of command and go to the brigade chain of command or even the state chain of command. I think sergeant majors typically always have an open-door policy, and that uh, I know it takes a lot of guts for a soldier to go up to a sergeant major. Mm -hmm. Um, Officers, you know, we can typically typically go the XO route or we can just talk to somebody on that side. But it is difficult to get that across, and that's incumbent upon us as senior leaders to ensure that those things don't happen, that retribution
2: doesn't happen Mm -hmm. and, and retaliation doesn't happen. So, what about outside of the military? The Guard, we, it's, it's two hats that we wear. You know, we have civilian jobs and we also have military obligations. The military, it's very kind of straightforward. We have that chain of command and those channels that we can use. What if you have a micromanaging boss in the civilian world? How do you, and they're not harassing, they're just very nitpicky and on you, they give you a task and they just control it the entire way how do you address a leader that that's in that position
1: yeah those are it's very i mean it's kind of it's it's similar to what we have on the on the military side i mean there are certain things if it's a hostile work environment you know there are things things you can do through your through your hr department if you just have a bad boss sometimes you just have a bad boss yeah and um he or she may have reached that level of uh supervision you know everybody's familiar with the peter principle and so you, you get promoted up to your to your uh, level of um where you can't do the job anymore basically and sometimes that happens a person might be a great salesman they make him a sales manager he's a horrible sales manager and mm-hmm. we see that quite often mm-hmm. and so if that's kind of what you're talking about um yeah th- those are tough and so it based, it would be based off the uh, climate of that specific company. Sometimes sure. the company makes it really easy to 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 kind of counteract that. Sometimes that company does
2: not make it easy to do that. So. Yeah, because it's hard. Because after a while, you get tired of nodding and smiling yeah. and just yeah. saying yes and, and trying to fulfill a task that will never be fulfilled. Sure.
0: Yeah. How how would you um, what would you recommend for someone in that position? To think of when, hey, you just have a bad boss and you just have to deal with it. You have a mortgage, you have a family to take care of, and you just—I don't want to say stuck—but if they feel that way, what what should they do to cope with that?
2: Just go to your happy place. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, uh,
1: yeah. That's one thing. I, you know, the other thing is to uh, not obviously not on that company's clock, but to uh, do a job search and try to find something else. I mean, mm-hmm. I, I know that sounds. That sounds kind of a flippant answer, but that person should know the values of that company. So if, if I work for company X and I know and I can see their, their mission statement and their, what their core values are, if this supervisor does not have those core values and if he or she isn't leading me in the fashion that supposedly that company is uh, supposed to be living by, well then maybe I have, I have a, an ability to go around that person and talk, and again, the HR office is extremely important in this instance. You just go talk to the HR person and say, hey, here's what's going on. And you may not be the only person that's gone that route and made those complaints. And so mm-hmm. if they get enough of those, then they can act on them. If the company that you're working for doesn't have a mission statement, doesn't have a list of what they value and what they do, then maybe you just need to go find a better job that, um, I know that's, again, it that seems easy, but mm-hmm. maybe you need to find a place that, can, that you'll better fit into.
0: Okay. Yeah. It's almost like choosing happiness because things, a toxic environment can cause just severe anxiety in someone. And over time, that could do harm to them, to their family, any of their friends, loved ones, the work environment. Yeah. um,
1: You know, a personal example of my youngest daughter uh, was working for a place. uh, She's married to a Coast Guardsman, and so mm -hmm. they moved out of state. And uh, she got a job pretty quickly uh, in this other state a um, little bit different job than what she expected, and the, the company really didn't have the same values that she does, and it's, it was a fairly high-stress position. Mm-hmm. And so she worked there for like, two years, but it was just eating at her almost every mm-hmm. night. And so my, my, my suggestion to her was find another job. And um, and she did, and she's in another job now, and is much happier. Uh, about the same pay, you mm-hmm. know, which really wasn't the big deal. I think she would have taken a pay cut to get mm-hmm. out of that other environment. Um, that's just a good example. I mean, right now we're fairly lucky that unemployment rate is low, mm-hmm. and so I would I would think that you could find something. Um, it's just, but that that's it's easy for me to say that, but yeah. it's extremely difficult to be in that situation. I understand
2: that. Yeah, and but it's also important too, I think, to recognize if it's the boss or if it's you. Are you the one that's having a hard time working for people because you want to be the boss and Mm -hmm. since that person that you're working for isn't great, so well, I'll go find somewhere else to work versus two years is a long time to work for a boss and and try different avenues to make it work. And that, that I think is very important as well rather than just straight giving up when somebody crosses your path that you don't like. yeah. Well, you know, and I'm and I'll throw something out. I, I, I'm almost positive
1: mm-hmm. it was Carl Beyer that, that coined this phrase the other day because I was talking about this opportunity to come and talk on the mm-hmm. podcast, and I said it was about toxic leadership, and we talked about toxic followers. And so, you know, that comes into that self-awareness piece. Don't be a toxic yeah. follower. You know, on the military side, it's easy. If it's a legal and lawful order, as bad as it may be, you need to do that. Mm-hmm. Um on the civilian side, it's a little different, so you have to be careful on, on what they're trying to get you to do. But yeah, if um, if if you have if you've been unhappy with your last five bosses, yeah, it might be you. It Combinator. might not be the bosses. Yeah, yeah. yeah. And so <laughs> it's just something to be aware of. Yeah. Just
0: go start your own company. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> <Or> I'm, <laughs> or for I'm sure. That, I'm right, sure right. a lot of successful
1: yeah. people have, have done that. too.
0: Yeah. How how can a leader recognize these traits, these negative traits, uh, in themselves, and if they're able to is it too late for them to change
2: so like a narcissist where a narcissist is never going to recognize that they're a narcissist yeah. right this is just part of their traits yeah something would happen yeah.
0: huge would have to happen for them to be self-aware that oh this is me right but if someone has the ability to to see that in themselves like hey i just i just micromanaged my employees for this project or if happened, one of their peers they,
2: pull them aside and say hey yeah the way you handled yeah. this maybe next time
1: yeah and so i think that's uh so it's a great point yeah number one a narcissist probably is never going to do that and so that <laughs> i mean i think that's close to a mental illness so or a behavioral health issues so mm. that's something they need to deal with through therapy but um <laughs> um so they're always again so self-awareness and self-improvement so if you truly desire to improve your performance you can do that and at and again, I hate to throw back always to the Army has done this before, but the Army has been around a long time. The mm-hmm. Army National Guard obviously has been around even longer, but there's methods for everything. Mm-hmm. So you have an OER, and I'm going to say uh, on the officer side, you have an OER. You have an OER support form. You have the 360 review. There are plenty of tools that are, that are in place for you to be self-aware of what um, your performance is. You have your peers. You have your superiors talking to you offline. Hopefully you have a mentor that can talk you through some of this stuff. The Army has put a framework in place. If you follow what the Army tells you to do, you will probably be successful or, or at least have a, a better chance at being successful. Where we get into trouble is um and this is something we need to hold each other accountable for as well as you guys need to hold each other accountable um you need to be candid and honest on those evaluations um if somebody has some traits that worry you i know it stings nobody likes to be confrontational or put bad comments on Mm -hmm. an evaluation but you have to do it because you have to understand you as a leader Aren't necessarily beholden to that subordinate, that single subordinate, but to whoever he or she is commanding. Yeah. And so, if that person is responsible for a 200-person company, you're, you know, you don't, you don't own loyalty to that person. You owe loyalty to the organization. Right. And so, you just, you, it's, it's tough. But then you have to be honest and candid with that person. Here's where you've fallen short. And then, as a mentor or as a leader, if the person is salvageable, and most people are then these are the things you need to do to improve. So it can be done. It's just a matter of if they're willing to, to look at that and,
2: and if they want to improve.
0: Yeah.
2: Sure. I'm catching it early. Earlier the better. Developing yeah. th- those mentors that may see those traits, like you were saying, and help reshape thought process or approach when dealing with other people. Yeah, and then
1: hopefully we're not rewarding poor performance. You know, mm-hmm.
2: when And, again, if
1: um, – the performance piece if 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 the boss's number one priority is is strength and strength are we going to reward the company commander who saves everybody, but they can half of them can't pass a PT test and, and they and they don't meet the standards? And you've got some folks who are drug abusers and things like mm-hmm. that, or are you going to reward the person who maybe fell a little bit short of meeting their recruiting and retention goals, but their company's clean, their folks pass a PT test, their readiness mm-hmm. levels are, are high? So we as senior leaders need to make sure that we're not
2: rewarding the bad performers on yeah. that from that level. Yeah. It's, I think that's a good point because when you hear toxic leadership, you think the bully, the micromanager, mm-hmm.
0: but you don't necessarily
2: think that, well, all of my people are great so they all get outstanding reviews. Yeah. That's That in itself is a toxic leader as well, correct?
1: Yeah, so again, I, if, you, if you look at our values, l- loyalty is one that people sometimes confuse. I'm, I'm not loyal to you. I'm not loyal to John or Jack or Jill. I'm loyal to the organization in the United States of America and the state of Oklahoma. Mm-hmm. So am I doing what the right thing is for the agency, the organization, and, and those those pieces? And I think some people have misplaced loyalty. They feel loyal to a certain commander or mm-hmm. a certain person. That's not, what that, that's not
2: what the value of loyalty means. And that can be yes. difficult yeah. in the Guard because it's a very family-oriented organization. Sure. So you... Maybe in the same unit with somebody for your entire career. Active duty is different. Mm -hmm. You know, you get moved around every two, three years, so you don't have that opportunity to build those same strong bonds that you Mm -hmm. do in the guard.
1: Yeah, and I think sometimes we see leaders get into a little bit of trouble where they've done a, a whole lot of great things for the organization. And then they'll make a mistake later in their career and people are unwilling to call that person out for that mistake. And so they'll kind of just say, well, you know, he or she has been so great on these other things, we're going to let that slide. Mm -hmm. And then what that happens is then some of our younger folks who haven't been with that person for the last 30 or 40 years, all they see is this horrible mistake and the person doesn't get punished. And so then that sets a bad precedent.
0: Yeah. Yeah, yeah. How can you be the type of employee and peer? that a leader wants to mentor? Because I imagine there are leaders who are like, these people that I'm leading are just a nightmare to, I mean, it's, you know, two-way street. So sure. how can you be a an employee and a peer that someone wants to lead?
1: Yeah, that goes back to the uh, toxic follower uh, comment that I had mm-hmm. earlier. And so, and I don't know who said this, but basically, you know, 90% of life is showing up. Mm-hmm. And, you know, and so if, if, if people come to work, obviously, be fairly competent at your job, and don't be a jerk. Yeah. I mean, if you do those three things, you're going to be successful in our organization. And um, you know, each one of those has a little bit of a different variance of, of what, what that counts for. But, I mean, it's it's very – some of the same traits that we look for in, in leaders are the same things we look for in every employee. Mm-hmm. You know, stand by the values, meet the standards. And then when you're given that opportunity, if you have a boss that empowers you to do something, take the reins and and go do it. Don't ask for, you know, too much guidance and direction because then you're just asking to be micromanaged. Most of us don't want to be told what to do every step of the way. We want to be able to give me some direction Mm -hmm. and then get out of my way. But but not everybody is like that. We've all had employees where... And you give them a task, and, and if you're not pushing them and pushing them and pushing them, they're just not going to do it. And, right. and that's as frustrating as anything else. So, yeah.
0: I think we're at, if mm-hmm. there's anything you feel that's pertinent to this subject that you would like to add that we may have not covered.
1: Um, you no, know, I think, uh, well, first off, I appreciate the opportunity. Mm-hmm. Thank you guys for having me.
0: Yeah, thanks for being yeah, here. Absolutely. I like
1: and I think it's kind of what I can't focus enough so um on 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 our values in 2000 general mattis who was the secretary of defense Mm -hmm. um i guess secretary mattis um you know he came out with back in back-to-back years he sent a letter to the entire force about ethics um in 2017 he talked about uh, making sure that we stayed in the ethical midfield so on a football analogy basically he wants us to run down the middle of the field not get too close to the Mm sidelines where if we have a misstep we're out of bounds ethically Mm -hmm. then in 2018 he followed that up with a uh, with a second letter again to the entire military force that talked about um he wants admired leaders who coach and inspire building a foundation of trust and then remembering that accountability matters and so again this is coming from the secretary of defense and so he's concerned about our ethical standing and i think that's something we all need to be concerned about as leaders and and as just members of the military in general we were very fortunate in um, 2019 to still have the full support of our citizenry Um, we all get thanked for our service anytime we're in uniform Um, but it's been almost 20 years since we've been at war and it's a different type of war than this country's ever seen and so I think that we have to be very vigilant in maintaining the standards that we expect and so when I talk about leading from a position of values That is incredibly important. So our Army values, we have to to know what those are, and we have to make sure that everything we do coincides with those Army values. Uh, The Air Force's values, again, are simple, and they're out there. Same thing on their front. Mm -hmm. So if you're making a decision and if you're trying to lead people and your decisions and your leadership style or what you're trying to get them to do, if they run counter to those values, then you're wrong. And uh, we need to ensure it going forward that, that we, we hold everybody to that standard. That's key.
0: Great. That's perfect. I, again, think you're the perfect person for this oh. interview. So
2: Yeah. Thanks again for yeah. joining us here. And, yeah, this is wonderful. It's a wonderful yeah. conversation. I definitely learned a lot about mm-hmm. leadership and, and, you know, things to focus on, being self-aware. Mm-hmm. But also as one that's being led by people, too, how I can approach my leadership and what to expect from them and and take their guidance how to take their guidance so right? yeah thank you very much
0: thank you for listening to today's episode we hope you enjoyed it i know that brian and myself got a lot out of the actual interview um next episode is going to be over tricare and we talk primarily tricare reserve select for our m-day soldiers and airmen A lot of great information, so stay tuned for next month's episode, and it airs on July 17th. So we'll see you then. The OK Guard Show is produced by the Oklahoma National Guard Public Affairs Office. Any mention of products or brands does not imply endorsement. All guests on the show are volunteers in an effort to inform and educate members of the Oklahoma National Guard, their families, retirees, potential recruits, and the community.